Hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of Chapter Brothers. My name is Nick Ackerman. And my name is Kevin Ackerman. Alright, and today we are going to begin talking about the next chapter in um, The Gunslinger, uh, The Oracle and the Mountains. Finally, uh, just to recap from last time, um, we got finished with the way station, and uh, we got to learn a little bit about uh, Roland's childhood, Indeed. and kind of the day that he sort of became a man when he uh, sentenced the cook hacks to death, and we saw him hang at the gallows. Exactly. Kind of establishing the pattern of just sort of Roland's manhood as a very kind of violent thing. That he sees himself becoming a man the first time that he, well, not directly killed somebody, but he had someone killed. And this is actually a distinction that's made in between the two versions of the book. So I feel like it's got to be somewhat important. So it sort of establishes that, you know, Roland is very much... He's, he's a person of black and whites. He's a person of... He doesn't uh, spend too much time being introspective. I mean, other than on in the pages of the book, obviously. But uh, he's the kind of person who is very much... He sees an injustice and immediately goes to his father and says, this person is going to poison all these people, so he has to be killed. Doesn't think at all about his personal affection for Hacks, the fact that Hacks just fed him and Cuthbert some food. Doesn't think about that whatsoever. He is 100% dedicated to justice and the right thing. Yep, he is uh, truly the mind of a gunslinger. Exactly. Um, and then the section ended with a very brief, well, even before that uh ending section we, we got a quick thing saying that the the town was overthrown his father was killed and uh and he kills his mother yeah too so yeah Stephen they, king they, loves they just... th- yeah he loves throwing in <laughs> these little like firecrackers at the end of a at the end of a, a section of story just to be like what what the hell who where <laughs> yeah like wait a minute i have to read that again oh yeah. my gosh it was just one sentence that meant so much exactly yeah um, he loves just letting you kind of imagine the story of what happens on your own and try and think of what you think probably happened so we'll see if we get any more information about any of that yeah and then uh the very last section of the way station was uh he kind of comes out of his flashback and uh jake points out that the man in black is going up the mountains mm-hmm. and they can see him. Yeah, they can on his trail. see a scurrying little, almost looks like a, a moat, if not just for its consistency. But yeah, the so the first time that uh, the gunslinger has seen him in his own, an entire uh, just sort of quest following this man over however many long, how, you know, could be years. We, we don't even know at this point. Exciting. Exciting. Uh, so before we get started, Kev, I, mm-hmm. I wanted to start to do something each week oh sure and it's i'm gonna ask i'm gonna ask you a little um random factoid about stephen king uh trivia question oh sure if you know it each week will just be something random that i look up love it and the, f- the first one is very simple kevin do you know stephen king's birthday oh i want to say september but i do not know all right, There's, September is right. All right. Uh, well, how about the year? Do you know the year? Uh, I'm going to say 1950. Close. Uh, so it's September 21st, 
1947. 47? Oh, that's so weird. I thought uh, he said that uh, in 1969 he was 19. That's what I thought, too. Yeah. Hmm. Well, that's what it says here. It's 1947 he was born, so... Which sounds more correct, so I was confused, actually. Like, that whole um, on being 19 section at the beginning of the, the new version of the book... It it definitely mentioned that, huh? Sixty nine, and yeah, yeah. So I don't know. Maybe that's just uh, a mistake on what well, he forgot his age. I, I don't <laughs> know. <laughs> so he's slightly older than our parents. Slightly older, yeah. yes, yes. Three, which three definitely years. still within the whole baby boomer kind of era of uh, protesting in the sixties and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, you're into astrology or anything but september 21st i believe that's a oh crap i started this without actually knowing Ah. Uh, libra i think (laughs) that's that's what chapter brothers is best at good intentions and good ideas but very little (laughs) follow-through let's see september Uh, 21st astrological sign september 21st virgo virgo is close um, not that I know anything about astrology to even <laughs> it's actually what a Virgo it's actually is. crazy we were just talking about this the other night at dinner uh, Cynthia our, 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 our good friend Paul and Cynthia's sister Carly Carly very intru- very into astrology as as is our sister Lauren and uh, she uh, kind of gave us like a website and uh, an app to look into and apparently uh, I am let's see well we know that I'm a uh, Taurus, uh, so as everyone always tells me, t- uh, as soon as I say I don't believe in astrology, they say, "Of course you, of course you don't. You're a Taurus," uh, which is <laughs> the most frustrating thing ever. But apparently, <laughs> also my uh, let's see, my Venus is in Gemini, which means that my love life is very sort of multifaceted, I guess, and very unpredictable. I think, but. Which doesn't follow through with my love life whatsoever, since I've been with yeah. only one person in my entire life. But you know, <laughs> <laughs> since high school. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Before so, high school, right? Almost. <laughs> no, no, no. It was a sophomore year of high school. Well, we met freshman uh, year. We started going out sophomore year, and we are still together twenty-one years later. There you go. Indeed. Well, I'm a Pisces, and I, I, I say the same thing. I'm like, I don't really, I don't. You know, I was a biology major, I'm a man of science. Astrology mm. is a pseudoscience. Whatever. But, uh, but I'm every sure time they I would... say I'm a Pisces to someone who's uh, who knows astrology, they're like, oh, you're totally a Pisces. Yeah. I'm like, OK, <laughs> cool. Like, it's crazy <laughs> that despite you not believing in it, it still somehow kind of applies in certain ways. But then in other ways, it's completely wrong. So I guess it's kind of a you believe in the parts that you want to believe kind of situation, exactly. which I feel that's like how... is the case with all religion in general. But that's a wormhole we don't necessarily <laughs> have to go down. But I feel like still relevant to the book and all of the religious themes and such that we've got. (laughs) Maybe. I mean, we'll see. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. So, yeah, I'll do that every week. I'll just call it the the Stephen King factoid and see if uh, you know my little trivia question just to have a little something different to start our show off with. Sounds good. I'm all in favor. Uh, well, I, I actually did a, uh, a research paper on Stephen King in college all about 
basically my thesis was that Stephen King's uh, childhood specifically, but also his life in general, uh, inspired all of the books that he wrote. So I went into, you know, all of the uh, historical aspects that I could find. And obviously that's part of the reason why we're doing this particular podcast. I'm such a huge fan of Stephen King, but also uh, I think my, well, I, I won't deprive you of any, uh, fun facts later on, but uh, just it was it's very interesting kind of seeing the way that his childhood, his relationship with his mother, his relationship with his brother as well, kind of influenced all of the different uh, characters and kind of uh, plot lines that happen throughout uh, various books. Like a lot of the time uh, you see different characters having this sort of uh, I want to say not cold, but almost like business-like relationship with their mother, where she's like, "All right, food's in the food's in the kitchen. I'm gonna go go off to work for eighteen hours because I gotta support you two boys. But uh, you guys just take care of yourselves." And <clears throat> I don't I don't know if that's exactly correct. That's just sort of my impression of how he grew up based on various mother characters that he's written, but. Uh. I feel like it, it definitely has to have some sort of correlation. But, yeah, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. I totally. bet that's true for lots of authors is there, there's a little bit of their own life in uh, characters that they create. Definitely. Like J.R.R. Tolkien, I feel like his experience in World War One definitely colored so much of The Lord of the Rings. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. We could talk about that more when we get to uh, talking about Tolkien. I know. I can't <laughs> wait. Oh man, that's a that's a much well. I don't know. I don't know what's a larger undertaking, Tolkien or uh, the Dark Tower is pretty uh, <laughs> copious <true>. as well. <laughs> Very true. We'll I just mean, keep keep going until we die, Kev. <laughs> I mean, is, I, I, I I'm kind of uh, ugh, I'm so excited. Like I don't know if I mean maybe we should cut this part, but I'm I'm so excited to kind of see what kind of our format is going to be because I feel like I would love to do almost. It would be complicated, but I would love to do like alternating Lord Lord of the Rings and Dark Tower and kind of see how the two see how the Lord of the Rings almost influence the Dark Tower, because there is definitely oh, so many ways in which it does. But uh, I would oh, love to do fun. like, you know, Gunslinger, then Silmarillion, then the next book of the Dark Tower, then... I don't know. Do we jump straight to the... Do we go to The Hobbit, or do we just skip straight to Lord of the Rings? I feel like I mean, we might have to do The Hobbit first. Because <laughs> then it would be uh, seven Dark Tower books and six Lord of the Rings books. So then it would be evenly, you know, every other, kind of. Yeah, I guess so. That might be cool. That yeah, might be sure. cool, Let's yeah. That <laughs> because then, Because then that way we almost have a little bit more of a experience similar to what fans had as the books were being written because i always feel like context matters so much with fiction which is why i'm uh doing so much of this you know writing down every single difference between the original version and the new version of uh the gunslinger because i feel like uh so much of like say the the writing of this book uh has so much to do with being written in i guess 
I guess, I, I suppose he started in, in the late 60s and then continued writing it all through the 70s, putting it down, picking it up again, writing it, uh, publishing one part, like par individual pieces as uh, magazine supplements. And I feel like, uh, well, what my original point was, having a little bit of space in between the books kind of gives you a little bit more time to think about them and have perspective and just to have a little bit more breathing room, I guess, which is why, like, a lot of the time when I finish a chapter of a book, like, I won't just rush into the next chapter. I'll kind of just let it sit. I'll, you know, take a walk. I'll eat, just eat something and kind of just sort of think about what I just finished reading. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta let it marinate a little bit. Exactly. Move on. Yeah. Oh, I think that'll be a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm sure. in. All right. Let's do that. Oh, <laughs> All right. The Oracle and the Mountains, Chapter 3 of The Gunslinger. Mm -hmm. um, I, f I don't know if we're going to be doing too much uh, reading of um, full sections, just because there's a lot of... Well, I don't know. We'll see. Let's, yeah, let's just get into you're it. You're right. There are, so, there are a lot of uh, long passages of description, and it's, it's not a lot of actual plot, really, that happens. I mean, basically, you could sum up the plot elements in about three sentences the uh yeah. roland finds jake in what seems to be some kind of a circle as soon as he wakes up uh he ties jake up so he doesn't sleepwalk again uh the next morning tells jake that he's going to uh you know go into this uh circle by himself roland takes mescaline goes into the circle uh has some sort of a prophecy uh well here's the uh, prophecy of this oracle demon thing and then basically the demon as with almost all of Roland's interactions takes uh, payment through sex and uh, <laughs> and then Roland uh, walks away and that is it but as yeah, far right. as well, that's the end of the episode thank you for joining <laughs> us everybody this... <laughs> but I just want to say that that's why I love Stephen King's writing so much is that it's not about plot it's about story it's about mm -hmm. the things that are going on within the character's head and the things that are going on the motivations why the characters do certain things so it's all, it's all about so much more than plot which is just again why I'm such a big fan of Stephen King like I think at one point in uh, on writing uh, his sort of uh, autobiography slash writing manual, uh, he says something like, um, plot is to story as a menu is to a meal, kind of. Oh. Or I may have I may have made that up, but I feel like the, the, the essence of it is there, that plot is just the, you know, the bare bones kind of outline of what you're going to have, whereas... The story is the meat. The story is the the actual flavor of what you're getting. Right, right. Okay, that's good. I like that. Uh, so right away we get a, a quick sentence of King Shadowing. The, exactly. The uh, famous King Shadowing. The boy found the oracle and it almost destroyed him. So right away you kind of know uh, what you're getting yourself into here. Um, but then we go back to basically where we left off in the last chapter is that they're making their way up this hill. Yeah. Um, they can, they can hear crickets. They can, they can start to see that the grass is changing. Um, they're they're slowly making their way up, you know, foot by foot up the uh, the 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 scrabble of of rocks. Um, 
making their way to the top of the hill, and then finally uh, they get there. Indeed. So our first change thus far, continuing the every single page of this book has some change or another between the 1982 and 2003 versions. Uh, We've got... So, some thin instinct brought the gunslinger up from sleep to the velvet darkness which had fallen on them at dusk. And then the original version continues, we've got a a subtraction here, that had fallen on them at dusk like a shroud of well water. Which, I mean, evocative, but I don't really know what it means. I feel like a lot of the time, 19... I mean, 70s, let's say 70s Stephen King, uh, as he's writing this, uh, he has, there's a lot of just little similes uh, that are very descriptive, but I feel like they don't really mean much. Like, like what does a shroud of well water even mean? (laughs) Like, is it like like a mirage or... Like, you're looking down into this well, and you're not quite sure what the depth is, maybe? Mm. I, I guess that's what they mean. Yeah, at first I thought it meant, like, pouring well water on you, but I think, yeah, I think it means looking down into the well, and it looks like you can't see past it. You don't know how deep the well goes. Yeah, but I Just feel like, like... Yeah, exactly, like the the velvet darkness of dusk, yeah. See just how deep the rabbit hole goes. Mm. <laughs> Different book. <laughs> movie, movie. Well, technically, I guess both. Because I know that quote is from The Matrix, but I guess it's referencing Alice in Wonderland. I was thinking Alice in Wonderland, yeah, but The Matrix, obviously, yeah, also. <laughs> Maybe that's what's going on. The gunslinger is Neo, and he's just making his way the desert is the matrix i don't know mm. <laughs> i mean it's a similar kind of story I, I could see how you, i could see how you got there yeah i do like uh i like the the one thing where it says uh jake hadn't been able to hide the wildness in his eyes which exactly were white what I was gonna and say. Mm. The eyes of a horse scenting water and held back from bolting only by the tenuous chain of its master's mind I think that was just a cool description there. I know, I kind love of the, it. The madness that they have, like, oh my god, there's water up ahead, there's exactly. grass, there's green things. Yeah, we're finally out of this desert, and we can see yeah. just sort of life around us. And uh, I, I, I totally get that, uh, that instinct, that, uh, that feeling, because there, there are so many times where, I mean, not even necessarily just going from desert to land, but just when you've finally gotten gotten past one difficult stage whether it be maybe finishing a a job that you don't like or you're finishing like a term paper or something where you're finally like you're at the easy part and you're just rush trying to rush forward but you know that you have to kind of like take a step back and you don't want to kind of overextend yourself kind of Mm -hmm. Mm. (laughs) yep just like making it to the end of that 5k that we talked about uh a while back, uh, you know, just sort of flailing your arms and wanting to get to that finish line. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> uh, so as they get to the top, uh, there the gunslinger saw an arc of brown movements in the shadow. He drew, fired, and filled the rabbit, all before Jake could begin to cry out his surprise. So just, you know, uh, Roland being badass and just glimpses a rabbit and said, oh my god, there's some meat. Boom, dead. Boom, dead. Now we got... Before Jake got even dinner. probably heard the rabbit or even was aware of what was happening all of a sudden there was a gunshot yeah so yeah, yeah totally. definitely roland being the best of the best of the best um <laughs> so we got a couple of changes uh right before that actually uh 
Let's okay. see. The next page, uh, we've got the sun, uh, the sun trampled uh, down on them all the way. Uh, eh, that's literally just took out the word, tra- took out the word down. So it's just the sun trampled them all the way. Kind of a, just sort of a, an easy uh, removal. Uh, then we've got, let's see. Uh, at first, then there was sawgrass. Which is a change. The original just says, then there was grass. Kind of making it a little bit more otherworldly. A little bit more fantasy aspect. Uh, in the original it says, Clinging to the bleak soil where the last of the runoff reached with gruesome vitality. And the new version just says, Clinging with gruesome vitality to the bleak soil where the last of the runoff reached. And that's, I feel like that's another dangling modifier type uh, uh, right. grammatical change. So that's another blue revision. Um, let's see. Then we got another one that says, Further up there was witchgrass, sparse, then green, and rank. And then changed it to another grammatical change where it says, Further up there was witchgrass, first sparse, then green and rank. Then the sweet smell of real grass. So, kind of just adding in the word first at the beginning just to make it a little bit more. First there was this, then there was this, then there was that. Yeah, so just grammatical changes. Grammatical changes, really. exactly, yeah. Yeah, and then changes, as you say. Yeah, so, and then another one uh, we've got... There the gunslinger saw an arc of brown movements in the shadow. And in the new version it says, There the gunslinger saw an arc of brown moving in the shadows. So, again, another grammatical change just to... I guess just make it a little bit more dynamic. So instead of... Uh, Let's see, an arc of brown, an arc of brown movements in the shadows, uh, making it sort of the making the word brown an adjective describing the movements. Now it's an arc of brown moving in the shadows. So the now the arc is the sub the arc of brown is the subject of the sentence. So I guess it's like changing it from passive voice to active voice, I think. Uh, I might be wrong. I, uh, it's been a long time since I did my grammar, but uh, our our dad would be the better one for for this uh, uh, distinction because he was a, an English teacher for a while. But yeah, but yeah, again, uh, a lot. Yeah, of, I don't. I don't even see the difference. Really, uh, it's right it, at the point. Well, uh, where it says no, no, no. I, 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 I can see it with my eyes. I just don't see it with my mind. I don't understand it, yeah. the difference. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Um... Uh, arc of brown movements and the arc of brown move. Okay, yeah. So, so instead of brown movements being the thing, it's the arc of brown moving. Moving in so. the shadows. Yeah. Yeah. That's an unnecessary change, but okay. yeah, again, it's all kind of little like grammatical changes that he's kind of going through with his red pen and correcting his earlier self's work. I'm just imagining him like grading every chapter and just being like, "This chapter was a C." Uh, 1978, Stephen King. You could do so much better. <laughs> well, also when he says Arker Brown movements plural, it makes it seem like it's more than one. So True. when he um, says an arc of brown moving, like it makes it singular. So I think that's the true. Yeah, that's another dif- distinction. Almost, almost highlighting his uh, his gunslinging skill. So almost as though like if he saw an arc of multiple movements, he had more time to react. Whereas if he just saw one arc moving, it's just one quick movement that he has just a split second to react to. Which yeah. in that and case. Only one- yeah, in that case, I feel As, like it almost describes a rabbit a little bit better because it's almost moving like in your peripheral vision, and it's just one quick thing that's almost a blur. Right. 
Uh, and also, it makes it harder for him to shoot if there's only exactly. one of them. Yeah. And many, so. Anywho. Anywho. <laughs> we were getting very pedantic, but yeah. I mean, that's... that's if that's, he made the change, there must have been a reason, right? Precisely. There, there have been times as I've been going through and I'm just wondering, like, is there some sort of, uh, like, an economical reason? Like, the, his publishers, like, wouldn't agree to publishing a new version unless there was a change on every single page, so he was contractually <laughs> obligated to do so? I mean, who knows? <laughs> Listen, King, we're playing for uh, yeah. <laughs> a we correction of page here. Of this book. Yeah. I mean, also, maybe it was that uh, he switched to a new publisher, so it had to be specifically different on every page enough so that oh, it could uh, verify, it could uh, qualify as a different version entirely. Well, okay, so often t- I've been thinking about this as we've been doing this, because, like, with The Lord of the Rings, for example, there's been different editions right. printed where they correct things and, and change things around or, and I, I've been, you know, reading about the, the Lord of the Rings for years. And, and it's like, you kind of see Tolkien's revision process going through. Now he doesn't call that a different like edition, but for Stephen King and dark tower, like he's actually calling it like the special edition or something. Is that, I don't, th- I mean, I think he technically only calls it just, the Dark Tower with the Gunslinger. Like, it's it's a new... I, I feel like it it only has become kind of this special edition in my head because there are so many, uh, like, additions into it that are entirely changed what completely from the original version. In so which, that's the big difference. Yeah. Tolkien, I, I, I believe, in, in the changes that he made were, were very uh, simple and subtle. And I think the changes that uh, King is making here in, in the uh, in the Dark Tower, sometimes he's adding entire paragraphs, oh, totally. um, and he's adding lots of um, describing words that are going to come up later. Exactly. Assumedly. Yeah. The... <laughs> um, but there are a lot of names and things, and I think Tolkien. I don't know if he had a better plan going in, because uh, I don't know much about Tolkien's plan either, because he wasn't much of a writer actually. Tolkien was more in, interested in being uh, a linguist mm. and uh, and making uh, languages for his his dwarves and his elves, and uh, and then making a world to fit that, you know. And I think King here, I don't know how big his plan was. I don't because I don't even know where this story's going. <laughs> mm. um, but it seems like he took years to write um, the many different uh, sections of the Dark Tower that we're going through. Right. Um, I don't know. Uh, I'm also not the foremost Tolkien scholar, so I would have to do more research on Tolkien because I'm pretty sure it took a pretty long time to write The Lord of the Rings. True. Also. <laughs> hey, we'll learn together. We shall. Um, Very excited. Cool. But... I, th- I think I like where this is going. <laughs> mm, it's true, yeah. I feel like, I mean, even if plot-wise this chapter doesn't advance too much i feel like this chapter kind of builds up the world a lot where there's a lot more uh i mean we already kind of have had the speaking demon in the previous chapter but i feel like uh it just i don't know it's again it's all about flavor it's all about meat it's all about kind of expanding the palette of what this book is to so to speak yeah totally well, I'm all for it. I, I, I will always take more. Give me more information. 
Exactly. <laughs> Which is why, you know, I mean, I at, at the beginning of this whole uh, project, I was kind of coming down hard against the new version, saying I was a purist, that I'll only read the 1990s paperback that I've got in my, in my hand right now. But now that I've been going through and reading what I realize is the new version for the first time, I'm, I'm coming to appreciate a lot of the... Uh, Definitely a lot of the grammatical changes, because I feel like some of it is unnecessary, but I feel like some of the, I don't know, some of the ways that 70s, 19, uh, 70s Stephen King describes things are a little bit pretentious, I want to say. Uh, okay. Yeah, so I feel like... <laughs> like like a, uh, a graduate student who's trying to use big words to get exactly. a, a big read. He's trying to reinvent <laughs> yeah. writing, and uh, 2003 Stephen King is like, calm down, you're just writing a book. <laughs> I've been doing this my whole life. I know, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a lot better at this than you were, so let me just take <laughs> over. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, it's it's interesting when you, you think back to 20-year-old you and, like, how cocky you were, and you're mm-hmm. like, you didn't know anything, you idiot. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's for sure. You know, uh, and I, I bet 60-year-old me is going to look back on 40-year-old me and go, wow, you didn't know anything, you idiot. Mm-hmm. So we learn things as we go through life. <laughs> very, very true, yeah. Uh, so anyway, uh, so he kills the rabbit, and they make some food. Uh, Indeed, they make a fire... Yeah, Jake offers to get the wood, and, and the gunslinger smiled and said, No, you won't. Sit yourself, Jake. Whose phrase had that been? Some woman? Uh, I, I stopped when I read that. I was like, who is he talking about? And also, they changed that, I believe, in the they did, new yes. Ooh, edition. Just before we get to that point, I just wa- uh, I've just got one thing I want to point out. Just the, the fact of uh, sucker bats, that there's apparently vampire bats just flying around in this mountain, just in this creepy oh, way. That, that. Yeah. So just like another little cool bit of uh, world building that uh, the bats might break uh, the boy's sleep no matter how deep it was. And if they were vampires, neither of them might awaken, at least not in this world. So just very sort of adding just an element of creepiness to the this whole uh, encounter that I love. But yes, you're right. Uh, so yeah. I would, whose phrase had that been? Some woman. And then in the new version, we've got Susan. He couldn't remember times the thief of memory that one he knew that one had been vanet's so another another reference to vanet someone from roland's past when was vanet mentioned before because I, um, I i read that i'm like wait i don't remember when that was mentioned uh let's see uh, earlier we've got okay so just in the last section actually in the uh uh, in Roland's flashback to when he was a child, uh, they said something like, "You are not quick like Cuthbert oh, or Venet's yes, boy." Gotcha. Yes, uh huh, Venet's boy. That now I remember exactly. Uh, Times the thief of memory. That one. That one had been. So what does that even mean? Time. Time is the th- basically saying the more time that goes by, the less you remember a thing. No, no, I understand that. But what is... Uh, then it says, that one had been Vanet's. Well, that phrase, that uh, aphorism. Oh, that phrase had been Vanet's. Okay, I thought mm. he... Oof. Yeah. Sometimes whole... reading is hard. <laughs> <laughs> I get you. It's okay. Well, when you're trying to, like, read so far into it, then you're like, oh, wait, take a step back. It's just a, a sentence. Like, exactly, <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. Understand yeah, it's, it. When it. It's like when you say something over and over again and it loses all meaning. Uh-huh. Mm. <laughs> uh huh. Toy boat, toy boat, toy boat. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, 
So then uh, in a couple of sentences later, we see just an, an addition that kind of adds a little bit more depth to Roland's character, I feel like, this next oh, absolutely. one. Absolutely. You get yeah. Susan's last name. Yeah. Um, oh, wait, do we here? No, it, oh, wait, it just I says Susan. Came... Oh, my bad. Yeah, yeah. But later on, we get Susan's last name, and that isn't said in the book. But in any case, uh, the, a sentence later where you see a, a praying mantis performing ablutions on the springy stem of the boy's cowlick. Uh, oh, yeah. The... Uh, okay, awesome. Yeah. I love that one. <laughs> what, uh, damn, I forgot to look it up. What is an ablution? Ablution is, like is basically like, no, no, no. I think that's just <laughs> prayers. Oh, all right. Yeah, so uh. again, continuing the whole <laughs> religious uh, theme of the story and uh, or motif or whatever you want to call it. But again, oh, okay. we've got sort of this uh, this idea of something that's praying right next to Jake. So establishing that maybe uh, something's praying for Jake or something's praying about Jake. Uh, it's just something I think, to think it sounds about. like yeah, Jake is some sort of a martyr. Yeah, which that's, that's what I'm getting. And then we've also got the other uh, uh, connotation of uh, praying mantises where. The, uh, the female always uh, kills the, the male as they're mating, so maybe something yeah. about killing that which you love. So, yeah. <laughs> so, in any case, a sentence later, it says, the gunslinger snorted laughter. Yeah, I was, before, before I just, I'm sorry to go oh, on this tangent, ahead. but I was reading about the uh, Black Widow spider uh-huh. the other day, and, uh, you know, that's the same kind of thing where the, the female uh, eats the male, mm-hmm. you know, after it done... Um, uh, procreating and uh, copulating, um, but if the female does not eat the male for whatever reason, the male will like force feed himself to the female. Really? Like, <laughs> yeah. I did not. Yeah, know I was that. like, what? Yeah, it's it's, it's pretty crazy. Uh, they don't really know why. Uh, perhaps like once they they have uh, you know had sex you know intercourse the way that spiders do i don't know how that works um that there's some sort of hormone or, or pheromone that, or that it, this chemical affects their brain and makes them want to stick themselves into uh the mouth of the female until mm. they're dead even if they're not hungry they're like nope you have to eat me <laughs> <laughs> i mean anyway in terms of in terms of like functionality it kind of makes sense to me because as she's incubating a new breed of uh, eggs within her like she's going to need a lot more protein and whatnot just to generate all of that like that's so that why must be, yeah yeah that's why uh, that's why mosquitoes uh suck blood it's not actually for food it's so that they have the that amount of protein so that they can uh generate eggs and uh you know uh, reproduce very cool. Very I cool. love nature. All right, Indeed. so anyway, back to this. Praying mantises. I didn't look up any information on them, though, unfortunately. But yeah, they're just sure. sort of continuing the whole <laughs> uh, sort of uh, prayer and religious sort of motif going on. But just yeah. the, the addition here is the, uh, the gunslinger snorted laughter at the first in God's knew how long. Just sort of that he's just finding a little bit of whimsy and just uh, a bug just sort of <laughs> sitting on top of Jake's head as he's uh, asleep. Whereas in the original version, it just has Roland noticing it. He, the gunslinger, set the fire and went to after water. So it's much more kind of utilitarian in the original. Whereas, oh, he, he snorted laughter. I, I yeah. missed that. Yeah. See that? Yeah, that's a good addition. I like yeah, that. I like that one. I would call that orange, right? 
Uh, no, that one's yellow because it's uh completely it's completely new. Yeah. Oh, okay, I got you. Yeah, orange is like if there's something had been there, it was taken out and replaced with something else that sort of changes the idea of it. Gotcha. And this one is just a inserted. Inserted. Yellow entirely. means insertion. Gotcha. Precisely. Yeah. That's a good way to think about it. Uh, makes me think of uh, uh, DNA uh, gene mm. mutations. You have like insertions, deletions, uh, and like translocations. Mm moving something around yeah that's perfect the deletions are red <laughs> translocations are are blue grammatical changes yeah <laughs> perfect i got it well i guess there's there's two different kinds of translocations though which is also perfect because yeah there's blue the, and, no no blue and orange yeah exactly but, uh, yeah you could have chromosomal or uh, anyway i don't think that's a, a good enough <laughs> I mean, I um, I am all I am all here for all of the the biology facts that I can learn. Yeah. Well, yeah, mutations are good. So you can have DNA mutations or chromosome mutations are much bigger because chromosomes are like like when I'm talking about DNA mutations, it's like bases, which in every chromosome there are thousands and thousands of bases long, um, like millions, but. Um, Chromosome mutation is much bigger because it affects many of those little bases. Mm. And when I'm saying a DNA, it's like one adenine switching to a cytosine. Or... Right. So a chromosome uh, would be like a whole chain of changes. Exactly. If you have like a part of a, an arm of a chromosome come off, now that's affecting thousands of those letters mm. rather than just one or two along right, the way. Yeah. But if you affect one or two letters along the way, that does affect... Yeah, it's going to... Big... You know, so a chromosome reaction. mutation... Chromosome mutation would be like, uh, if, if we're going back to the book, like taking out an entire chapter. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> or, yeah, or maybe paragraphs being mm. removed or added. Gotcha. You know. The whole 19 but. thing until, I guess. Yeah, 19 <laughs> chromosome mutation, because yeah. what the hell? Yeah, that, that was that, an entirely new element, yeah, that affected yeah. the entire section of the story, yeah. So, really yes. It did. Yeah, it really did. Trying to imagine it without it, if you're like, what the heck does that even mean? Yeah. I guess we'll come back to it later. We will come back to it later. But yeah, without that whole 19 thing, basically what it comes down to is Roland saw Allie being used as a human shield and shot her anyway. Oh. Yeah. (laughs) Which, I mean, it's a terrible thing for a human being to do. And it just sort of, but, and it, it, definitely makes you much more inclined to think of Roland not as the good guy whatsoever, but yeah. I don't know. In my point of view, I always feel like in order for there to be character growth, at the beginning, the character cannot be that good. So he has to learn and change and things throughout the course of the story. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, I guess yeah. it all comes down to uh, attention span in some way that... You know, if the character at the beginning is an asshole, then people won't like him and they won't want to continue reading the book. So, I don't know. This is true. Yeah. Uh, I, I do like Roland. As I, do I. I, I mean, it comes down to kind of the way that Roland in some ways is the... He, he, 
He's 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 a little bit Boba Fett. He's this ultimate uh, this ultimate uh, killer that we get very little information about up front, and he's very quiet. But he definitely seems to have a lot sort of stored away. But then with every yeah. book, we sort of peel away the the mystery of him uh, bit by bit, sort of the way that the throughout the whole Star Wars uh, series, ever since Empire Strikes Back, we've been finding more and more and more about Boba Fett. So, yeah. so I feel, I feel I was like... just watching, they have a thing on Disney Plus, it's called like the, the something of Boba Fett, like the, well anyway, it's like a, a little special where they, they interview too, yeah. people and they're talking about like, why is this guy so popular? He only had four lines and stuff, mm. but it's exactly what you said, you know, it's, it's uh, intrigue and like that, that like um, mystique, yeah, mystique. That's a good word for it. Of you know, I don't know who this person is, and perhaps they're super cool. Exactly, um, mystique plus competence equals uh, just a great character. Because well, isn't that isn't that like um, Clint Eastwood in a lot of those westerns? Yeah, exactly. He's yeah, the man the, with the no name, stranger from out of town. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and a fistful of dollars. Yeah. Just, ugh, that's the ugh. whole idea is that uh, I, I haven't seen those Sergio Leone Westerns, but uh, I, I feel like we should at some point because they're so uh, formative to just who the gunslinger is that's and true. his overall character. So I feel like that might be actually a cool in-between episode. Um, just to watch some Westerns. Yeah. Talk about that for a little bit. Just I'd be to, down. Yeah. Because uh, I feel like uh, just sort of Clint Eastwood is to Roland as uh, James Bond is to Indiana Jones. Like basically the almost right. the the inspiration <laughs> for the character, but meanwhile a lot of the the, the story elements are completely different. So yeah, yeah. Hmm. Huh. it's interesting actually. You could probably say you know Clint Eastwood plus Lord of the Rings plus. Uh, uh, what is that story? Child Roland to the Dark Tower came by uh, Robert Browning equals the the gunsling. The equals the Dark Tower. So probably those three what? things put together. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Jeez. That is. Uh... So this is what we're researching as we go on. It's it's all becoming clear to us that all of this stuff is connected. Exactly. We're going to see how. We shall. And why. We shall. So, in any case, so Roland is laughing at a bug on Jake's head. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, in any, let's see. So, after that, basically, uh, the sounds in the night awoke an uneasy sensuality in him, a feeling that not even Allie, the woman he had bedded in Tull, had been able to bring out. Too much of his time with Allie had been business. So, we've, we're sort of establishing this air of almost unwilling sexuality kind of that's going to become sort of the yeah. theme throughout this section that is what's, basically... what's the difference between sexuality and sensuality i feel like sexuality is more physical like literally just genitalia whereas sensuality is more sort of romance and sort of like you feel somebody's finger sort of like sl like softly against uh the side of your face or something like that sort of a little bit more of the it's nuanced. Uh, yeah, or, nuanced. Uh, yeah, I feel like like sexuality is literally just the aspects of procreation and intercourse, whereas more, I feel like sensuality. Overt. 
yeah, sensuality is like all of the other erogenous zones in the body, and also the kind of the emotionality that goes into it, or at least that's my personal yeah. definition. <laughs> exactly, that's mm-hmm. when you're getting uh, being smooth, you're putting exactly, on Barry White yeah. and stuff. Exactly, the appetizer <laughs> before the main course. Well, okay, so and there's a smell in this far. It must smell much better than the desert. Oh, uh, I think at some point they say the desert doesn't smell at all. It just uh, is sort of like antiseptic and kind of dry. Well, didn't they say, I guess we'll get to it. Um, I think they say at one point that uh, he said Jake smelled bad. And I bet yeah. I smelled bad too or something. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> they, because of the the heat of the desert that they probably are the only things that do smell because uh going back to basic biology their their bodies are trying to cool themselves down so they've got all of this sweat and oils and everything kind of running off of them as they're one of the few living biological things uh within their exactly within their area so and they're also probably attracting um whatever is in this forest that is female and also likes that smell exactly (laughs) so let's see uh there was a change right there let me see um not even Allie, the woman he had bedded until had been able to in the original it says uh not even had been able to bring to the fore sensuality and fucking after all are cousins of the most tenuous relations so that's uh Kind of basically <laughs> That's kind of what we were talking about. Yeah. what we just said, yeah. Uh, just a little bit of uh, a better uh, word for it. But in the new version, it says, uh, um, too much of his time with Allie had been business. So kind of just, uh, I mean, in a little bit less of a blunt way, sort of just saying what he means rather than what he, rather than literally explaining the, you know, the difference between sensuality and sexuality. He's just going right, straight right. to what he had felt uh, with Allie instead of uh, instead of sensuality. Huh. Yeah. So I don't know. I feel like this is a, you know, uh, it, this is kind of a coin flip kind of change where I kind of like both. You know, I'll, I'll take either one. I do too. Yeah. Um, I'm just I'm trying to find where the freaking change is one of these times. I'm like looking at the freaking paragraph and I don't see what you're saying. Um, do you see the word Tull? Uh, Allie, the woman he had bedded in Tull? Yeah. Yeah, so it's right after able that. To bring to the fore. Oh, there it is. Sensuality and fucking... After all, cousins of the most tenuous relations. So they took that out? Yeah, they took that out and then just put in the part where it says too much of his time with Allie had been business. Oh. Uh, oh, I like the original... Yeah, me oh, too. No, no, I guess it's... Maybe he just wanted to take out the fucking there. Yeah, I feel like a lot does, of the... T- does yeah. he, I don't think he curses for the rest of the chapter, does he? So maybe he was like, maybe we'll keep this a little more... I mean, um, <laughs> it's, not like he, it's not like we're keeping a PG here, but... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I said that. <laughs> so he never made any changes because like oh maybe my language is a little harsh there but i mean i guess that's that really comes down to what the difference is between vulgarity and profanity sort of saying that something can be he's holding on to the vulgarity while removing the profanity kind of i was watching the the george carlin special Mm. um last night and you know that that whole the the seven words you can't say Mm. On um, 
on television and um it, it really makes that that point of like just a word unto itself isn't bad mm-hmm. it's you know the context that you put around that word you know so you exactly can, um say whatever you <laughs> the want the classic but... is that it's perfectly fine in uh mixed company to prick your finger but terribly rude to finger <laughs> your prick <laughs> exactly i think that was what he said Good yeah job. <laughs> <laughs> uh so yeah anyway um yeah it's a fine change mm, yeah either way and... it's fine with me i i I don't feel like I'm I'm voting or my vote matters in these. <laughs> well, I mean, it's all opinion. We don't necessarily have to yeah. pull. I mean, well, I guess in some ways we are quantifying the changes that we prefer and uh, disagree with. But I feel like that's that's kind of the whole point of this exercise is just to say, OK, so this is what was changed. Why do we think it was done? And uh, just to sort of see what we think about it, because the only... Uh, the only real difference between this podcast and any of the hundreds of others about Stephen King are you and me, buddy. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. Which is why, you know, that's, uh, that's been always we're my... Good. Well, hmm? <laughs> I said hopefully we're, we're good at talking about this, but we yeah. might. I think I'm an idiot because I don't know much about Stephen King oh, at no, all. Oh, no, not at all. You're not an idiot. I mean, all that <laughs> I'm talk, trying all that my talk best. About, Maybe not an idiot. Yeah, and all the talk about DNA <laughs> and chromosomal changes. You're very smart. Ah, well. But in any case. Every once in a while. (laughs) Give yourself some credit. You're great. So. You too, brother. All right. So what are we up to? So, um, and then we've got another change. The next sentence where he says, uh, let's see. Uh, oh, so basically Roland kind of feels this sudden sensuality in the air around him. And he chalked it up to the sudden blinding change from the desert. And then an addition here in the new version where it says, after all those miles of bleak hardpan, then back to the old version, the softness of the dark seemed nearly decadent. So kind of just saying that he chalked it up to the sudden change and then just adding in something that was changed uh, after all those miles of bleak hardpan desert instead of just saying uh, he chalked it up to the sudden change from the desert, the softness of the dark seemed nearly decadent. So kind of establishing a little bit more that it's a comparison as opposed to just all of a sudden saying that the softness was decadent and yeah. i mean uh, I, I think that's a good change yeah i would agree and uh, actually this just occurred to me now i wonder if some of these changes were in his original sort of manuscript that were removed from uh the original ah. from the paperback and there are things that he's there putting back in i don't know so he always wanted it to be that way yeah, yeah. maybe huh Maybe they they gave him like a certain page limit, and he said, "Okay, well, you've got to take out this, take out this, take out this, and cut it down by fifty to a hundred pages or something." Yeah, because I know that's oh. what I know that's what happened with the stand. Because in um, actually that one, yeah, in nineteen seventy eight, the original version of the stand is something like eight hundred pages or something, and then in nineteen eighty nine. Yeah, 1989, he published the uh, unabridged and uh, complete edition of The Stand that's over a thousand pages. And so basically... That's probably the one I read. Yeah, that's the one I read too. And so that one, it was literally a publishing change where they said, okay, 
the we've done some research and the maximum page count uh, that the a, a person will read is 800 and something pages. So either you can make the changes or the editorial department will. And you had to you had to cut out entire almost storylines and uh, huge sections of the book in order to fit it into this arbitrary number. Huh. Crazy. Indeed. Uh, what is what is more popular, the stand or the dark tower? I would say probably the stand. But I mean, I know the stand has. I mean, I know the dark tower. How are has, you quantifying that? How are you quantifying that by like uh, amount I mean, of books purchased? Ooh, or? All right. See, I was just quantifying it based on people that I know who have heard of the stand versus people I know who have heard of the dark tower. So purely anecdotal. But now let's go into some hard data. <laughs> Let's see. <laughs> the uh, let's go with just on a book by book comparison. So let's say the Gunslinger uh, total sales. I mean, you have to take that with a grain of salt, also, because that doesn't necessarily like you. You never bought your version, right there. You got it from Pop Up. <laughs> that is true. That is true. I, I did buy this from a bookstore. I mean, but it was I also buy- used, so, so somebody else bought it before. Mm. <laughs> Let's see. According to this, ooh, do you want to guess what, what is the best-selling Stephen King book of all time? Ooh, that's a good one, because that's, that's where my mind went next. Uh, let's see. Best-selling Stephen King book of all time is It. Ooh. No, the answer is The Shining. Oh, The Shining. Uh, And so what is that number? That that number is... Oh, they're actually closer than I would have thought. Um, So The Shining, let's see, has sold between 500,000 and 700,000 copies to date. Why is there a range there? Uh, I guess just to, you know... (laughs) Just for what I was saying? (laughs) Account for... uh, uh, What is that word? Margin of error of... uh, Let's see. Between things like that of so, copies that were given or uh, sold secondhand or whatever or whatnot. Okay. Or just bookstores buying a surplus and then not actually selling them, maybe? I don't know. I guess so. Huh. I don't maybe know how I, that works. Now I don't trust Anyway, this. so 500, 700,000, where's the stand at? In that? Uh, well, according to yeah. this list that I am no longer as confident with... Uh, the <laughs> because the, it only gives numbers and an incredibly huge range of numbers by the way for the shining yeah, yeah, the okay. rest of the books on this list Press. it just says you know number five number six it doesn't say how many copies were sold but in any case according right. to this these cross reference okay. time to cross reference in order in any in any case uh, according to this list the sixth best selling book uh, of stephen king's is the stand whereas the eighth best is the gunslinger so okay and it is actually right in between of set number seven. Ooh, let's see. Actually, seven eight is so six seven eight is stand it, gunslinger. So uh, they break up the dark tower into individual books. Yeah, because they because they were sold that way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's um, see. I guess same goes for any other. What other books does he have that are a series? Let's see. So there is... um, Well, it is two books, right? No, no? that's actually just one. It's just two movies. Okay. Um, 
but that's a whole another story. Uh, and in the nineties, it was a, a miniseries. Um, so let's yeah, yeah. see. Let me Jim pull Curry, up. right? Jim Curry, indeed, the master of uh, horror himself. Uh, yeah, I love Tim Curry. Well, he scared the shit out of me when he was Rooster in uh, Annie. True, yeah. One of his more <laughs> down-to-earth roles where he's still about to kill a small child. <laughs> well, that just shows how much of a wuss I am and not well, watching Well, I mean, also, you were, you were a little kid. I mean, of course <laughs> well, you're going to empathize with Annie. <laughs> Why is he trying to kill a child? What exactly. is wrong with this guy? <laughs> this is a reasonable question for anyone to ask, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> This is just the things that, that was pure. That was pure evil in my mind. Like, yeah, I mean, it you know, honestly Freddy Krueger scared me that. as a kid, but yeah. <laughs> but I was like, this is like a normal guy that everybody, all the other adults are okay with, hmm. and he's trying to kill a kid. What exactly, is he masquerades as her father in order to get a reward, and then when he doesn't get it, he tries to murder her. I mean, you can <laughs> strip away all of the supernatural stuff if you uh, that you want. That is, those are the. Uh, elements of evil as it all comes down to dishonesty, oh, yeah, greed, and wrath. <laughs> Let's see. D- did he die in the end? No, no, no. Did he just he fall from uh, the He fell. The police had set up uh, what was it? One of those like little trampoline things to uh, break his oh, fall okay. and she gets rescued by Punjab in the helicopter. Punjab. Punjab. He, t- he rescues her with his turban, right? He, well, he, he yeah, I think like he unwraps it and like, what does he do? Does he? <laughs> That's a movie we need to talk about. It's true. I love that movie. <laughs> like as a kid, I okay. hated it, but uh, also just because it, you know, Carol Burnett is yeah, Miss Hannigan. Carol Burnett She's is great as Miss Hannigan. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Daddy Warbucks. Uh, Oliver or something? No, uh, no. The character's name is Oliver Warbucks. Uh, uh, Yule Brenner? No, no, no. no. Um, <laughs> looked like Yule Brenner. He did kind of. Um, now it was the guy from uh, uh, what's her name? Mm, uh, not Sarah Brockovich. Uh, Aaron Brockovich. Uh, Aaron Brockovich. What is that guy's name? Is he like a famous Albert actor? Finney. I don't Albert Finney. Albert Finney. Mm. <laughs> but in any case, so Stephen King, uh, let's see. So the first of his books that's actually from a, steer, a series is the uh, the dark the dark tower the the gunslinger. Then let's see, we've got the talisman in nineteen eighty four that he wrote a sequel to in uh, the two thousands. I'll get to that in a minute. Uh, let's see. Then there is. Huh. There's actually not a lot. Um, yeah, Dark Tower, Talisman in the Black House was 2001. And yeah, not very many sequels. Uh, let's see. Then later on, okay, 2013, we've got Dr. Sleep, which is a sequel to The Shining. Uh, That's right. Okay. Let's see. Then in 2014, we've got the Bill Hodges trilogy with uh, Mr. Mercedes, uh, Finders Keepers, and End of Watch. And but, so the point is, most of his books are uh, standalone exactly. um, books. It's not a series. Correct. And I would say okay. even The Shining and The Talisman were written as standalones that he later just wrote sequels to because he wanted to see where the characters ended up. 
exactly. Exactly. But then I guess <laughs> what happened to these people that yeah. I created? I spent so much time creating them. Yeah. Whatever happened to Danny Torres? More stories. What's going on with Jack Sawyer? <laughs> uh, but then, it, but then it seems like so the Dark Tower was probably the first that was written specifically to have a sequel, and then. You know, we've got a little bit further on. I think it really seems like uh, starting with the after the Dark Tower, starting with uh, Mr. Mercedes seems to be the first uh, of the times where he's deliberately writing a trilogy. So there's Bill Hodges trilogy. Then we've got a let's see, Holly Gibney series uh, in 2018 uh, called The Outsider. So. Basically, okay. you know, as he's gotten older, he's realized that the best way to ensure readers uh, keep buying the books is to just stop the story at some point and then continue on the next book. But that's just go. my exactly. that's my uh, <laughs> cynical worldview of uh, assuming people are writing things just to, to make money. But, you just know, to make money. Uh, well, I mean, it's the it, same thing. It is. It, it, it is. And I were talking about. Yeah. Sylvan and I were talking about how lots of movies these days, they only are like making a series of movies like exactly. to try to, to make money you know it's uh we need to have a sequel it's like he's like they don't just make individual standalone movies anymore that are just fine on their own uh we should get selvin on as a uh guest yeah that'd be great wants to join but yeah like time. uh inception perfect standalone movie does not need a sequel it's just done yeah exactly yeah and um shawshank redemption yes yeah. uh, Another perfect oh, like another. individual movie, individual short story, yeah. Uh-huh. And you got it. It's not like, oh, I wonder how his uh, life is going in Sewataneo yeah. with Red. Are What's going like on with their hanging yeah, his, out? Yeah, his boat business in Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> there, uh, it, it would be like you know a comedy. They're just two guys having a good time, and it's yeah. like weird uh, tourists come in all the time and try to ruin their. Their idyllic uh, utopia that yeah. they've <laughs> either that or weave in historical <laughs> context. What's going on in Mexico in the sixties and seventies? There you go. Do they make? Uh, do they get wives? Uh, have a family down in in Mexico? Yeah. Who knows? And then, who knows? <laughs> so yeah, I guess you can make a sequel to anything. It's always true. Yeah, basically, <laughs> if you can come up with just any additional events that are happening and conflict in this person's life, but I don't know. Yeah, I feel like I, cool. I just want to leave Red and Andy alone. They've been through enough. Yeah, right? Well, you could totally do prequels, though. Like, origin stories are, are the best way to be like, okay, how can we further this story? Well, where did this guy come from? You know, how did he become... <sighs> I don't know. Yeah, I feel right. like I, I, I feel sometimes like, that's too much. Like solo, it's like exactly. Ah, that's what I was about to this? say. Solo, everything that they've revealed about Boba Fett, I feel like it's taken away so much of the mystique of those two characters that made them lovable. Yeah, and I mean that's uh -huh. also part of the problem with Solo is that you know we've got the begin at the beginning of Star Wars, Han Solo is a mercenary. He's a you know a pilot for hire, and he doesn't care about anybody's revolution. And then character growth. By the end of Star Wars, he goes back, despite having uh, all of his money anyway, because he believes in trying to save these people. But with Solo, now we find out sort of his old backstory and everything, and 
because he sort of ran into the rebellion earlier on in his life and kind of walked away from it. Now he's a little bit of a worse character than he started off with in Star Wars because he had the chance to be redeemed, but he just ran off with uh, his buddy Chewie to be what amounts to a drug dealer for a crime boss. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's true. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of... (laughs) Drug dealer for a crime boss. Yeah, that's what he was doing. Yeah. Um, anyway, yeah. uh, maybe so maybe you drug had the, runner you is had more the list. kind, but in any case, he he never actually sold the spice. He was just the person moving it from place to place. Yeah, no, that's true. Yeah. But that in any case, so wait, what's the problem with that? Um, you, you're saying that he, well, he the I was, character growth. Uh, well, I was saying like, that he, you know, like basically, his story from in Solo is kind of. You know, escaping from Corellia, joining the the military, which we knew sort of from the expanded universe did happen to Han, and then kind of rescuing Chewie, getting involved in this whole heist or whatever. Uh, But basically, he runs into kind of who will be the sort of the beginnings of the more uh, criminal aspect of the rebellion. with, uh, what's her name? Enfys Nest, I think. I, I only saw the movie a couple of times. Uh, but... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I only saw it a couple of times, too. So wait, I don't know. Uh, okay. But yeah. my point is so that then... he runs into these people who try to get him to sort of join up and uh, be more in this sort of, like, idealistic uh, whatever. Um, because I guess that's sort of, like, the point of the whole movie, that they ruined his first heist because they were trying to get this like money or whatever for, to support the rebellion, but he was trying to mm-hmm. get it to just to sell it, to make money or whatever. But yeah. Yeah. So, so uh, he, he went through no character growth in that movie. You're saying, I mean, and, he, does, he, <laughs> he started off as a smuggler. He ended as a smuggler. Well, he, I mean, he started off as a kid. He learned he was, some crap along the way and, and he yeah. got a, a Wookiee, you know, he got a, a ship, but he didn't really become, um, yeah, well, that's fine. Yeah, he goes through character, yeah, he goes through, like, story elements that sort of build him up in terms of, like, you know, in instead of becoming, you know, going from this type of person, type A to type B type of person, he goes from being a level zero type A to a level ten type A, if that makes sense. Sort of. Mm. he's uh becoming more competent throughout that movie and he gets a ship he gets a co-pilot he gets some friends but he doesn't really change his worldview i guess is 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 a good way of putting it yeah i got you okay but in um, any case we're still on section wait, so one <laughs> b- b- yeah before we move on um you had a list there, right? Yes. So yes. you said the stand was six and it was seven and um, Dark Tower was eight. I want to just real quick try and guess what two through five is. Uh, let's see. What would be in there? Carrie? Carrie uh, according to this, Carrie is number two. Yes. Number two. All right. Um, so there's three more. Uh, big Stephen King books. Come on, Nick. You'd think I'd be able to do this. Um, uh, misery is that? A Let's see. Misery is Stephen King, and it is number four. Oh, four! All right. Um, Christine? No, that's gonna be further down. The one about the car. 
Not in this list, uh, no. Of the yeah. 17 top-selling uh, Stephen King books. I mean, what an arbitrary number. <laughs> uh, Cujo? Uh, I doubt it, but let's take a look. Uh, Cujo is number 14. 14? Uh, Pet Cemetery? Isn't that Stephen King? Let's see. Stephen King and a uh, Ramon song. But uh, number five is Pet Cemetery, right after Misery. Uh, so I'm missing, what, two? Uh, number three, actually, I think. Wait. That's number three? Um, so yeah, two, wait. two was Carrie. Two was Carrie. One was The Shining. So number three you're missing? Uh, uh, you might not know this one. Four Seasons? No, uh, I, I wish. Uh, different Seasons. Different Seasons. <laughs> different Seasons, that's what it's called. Um, <laughs> Frankie Valley. <laughs> <laughs> or The Hotel. Um, oh, man, I'm, I'm one away. You could do this, Nick. Uh, I'm just trying to think of movies, really, that were Stephen King movies. Uh, I can't do it. I don't know. What is it, Kev? It is uh, Salem's Lot, his uh, vampire oh. book. Yeah, His first vampire book, I, I should say. So let's see. Number eight is The Gunslinger. Number nine uh, is something you probably have heard of. Uh, I'm not sure if you know it's uh, Stephen King, The Green Mile. Oh, yeah. I know The Green Mile. Number nine and just number 10 just so we'll, we'll be done with this just, uh, 10 is a good number 10 is a good number yeah <laughs> we don't need to know all the additional six that we've missed out but uh number 10 is under the dome uh, which was published yeah. in 2000 and, well uh hang on where is it yeah the, uh, whoever wrote this list like i mean i'm sure they did their research but i need numbers i need to know how many copies sold i need to know when the book was published Ugh. I'm a numbers guy. But in any case, it was Under the Dome, and it was a little bit more recent, uh, the 2010s, and it is... I think that might be one of the Stephen King books that actually got me out of reading every single Stephen King book, because it is Ah. really, really bleak. It is... (laughs) It is a slog to get through. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) It's it's like... Basically, the, the, the concept of the book is... Here is a small town, and then all of a sudden, here is a clear dome just appears overnight, and no one can get in or out of the town whatsoever. So they're all just trapped. Ooh. So, wow. and basically, oh, it's all just sort of about the kind of depravities and the depths of human nature. Oh, God. Yeah. It is rough. <laughs> Not my favorite. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But, Stay away from uh, Under the Dome. I mean, you know, uh, take everything. Uh, you've got to make up your own opinions, but it's not one of my favorites whatsoever. <laughs> but in any case. Uh, in any case. In any case. Uh, so he's running through the, the jungle there. Running through the jungle. Uh, basically, let's see. Oh, no, at this point, let's see. He just shot the rabbit. Uh, he got back with firewood. Da, 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 filled his water skins he senses something and goes back to camp skins the rabbit uh let's see we got another sort of potato potato change uh where it says um let's see does he have a knife with him how is he skinning a rabbit um yeah oh yeah he's got a knife yeah he's got a whole he's got a bag of various things um tools and, tools stuff and whatnot like yeah um let's see i've never skinned a uh small mammal but i I bet that would be uh 
gotta take some technique definitely yeah you know? the, I, I, he probably learned that in gunslinger school you know? exactly yes being a, <laughs> surviving in the nature just based on your own uh grit and just uh with a knife and a gun just uh, taking down anything that comes your way very much sort mm-hmm. of the frontiersman spirit of the gunslinger um <laughs> Mixed with the so last of their canned camp, food uh, in the original, and in the new version it just says, mixed with the last of their canned veg, the rabbit made an excellent stew. So, oh. just sort of like a, eh, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I guess establishing that the canned food are vegetables, so just, we, we like to know that the gunslinger has a balanced diet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> or he's not mixing it with, like, uh, you know, rabbit and, like, I don't know, what other cat canned food, or food could you have that that would be gross. Yeah, yeah. exactly. With leftover cat food or olives. I don't know. Eh, yeah. Olives might be okay. Corned beef hash. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Redundant that food. might be yeah. good, too. It's yeah. true. I do love corned beef hash. I, I've never had canned corned beef hash, though, but I love it in, like, diners or whatever. Uh, what, so, Hassenpfeffer? Is that a, the a rabbit stew? Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, I think that's a rabbit stew. Yeah, the German. Learned that from... Uh, Bugs Bunny. Mm-hmm. I learned it from <laughs> uh, the Disney movie Bedknobs and Broomsticks. Uh, oh, there yeah. you go. That's yeah, cool. at one point, uh, <laughs> it's it's a wild movie if you haven't seen it. But basically, the there's a witch in the 1940s who's trying to use magic to fight against the Nazis, uh, <laughs> and one of the Nazis like sees a rabbit and he's like Hassenpfeffer. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it's also important to, to notice um, in The Lord of the Rings, um, I, forget, I think it's sometime during um, The Two Towers, or I guess book four, as it would be. In um, If you're including The Hobbit. Lord of the, Rings, right. Lord of the Rings is actually broken up into six books. Is it really? And, and they, made up, they made up the whole Fellowship of the Ring, Two Towers, and Return of the King uh, just for um, sales, like... The way Tolkien wanted it was just to have one long book that's broken up into these six um, parts. Like the way the Gunslinger is, yeah. Yeah. So, like, uh, but except much, much longer. Yeah, much longer. So, so what you know is the Fellowship of the Ring is two books. And it's broken up, uh, I think, at the Council of Elrond. That's what I was going to say in Rivendell, yeah. Yeah, somewhere around there. And um, then the rest are broken up by the point of view. It's the... So the next book, the book three, um, is, you know, Aragorn and Legolas and Gimli and their search for um, Merry and Pippin. Right. That that whole storyline. And then book four, they finally get back to um, Sam and Frodo. And you're like, oh crap. Uh, anyway, I, I brought five, this all is up Mary because. Mary in the ends. So, uh, no, no, that's all in book. That's in book three. Oh, the, okay. So that all happens, and Helm's Deep all happens in book three. Gotcha. So all that stuff happens, and then finally, it's uh, uh, we're we're in a fix, and there's uh, nothing to it, or whatever the line is, is what Sam says. Is the beginning of book four. And you're like, oh my god, Sam and Frodo, I haven't seen you in so long. I know. <laughs> what are you guys up to? And they're, they're like in the, uh, I guess the Emin Mule. Um, those like um, sharp rocks. Like and like, no, no, no. That's the, um, that's the Argonoth. 
Eben Argonoth is just the entry into Gondor. Uh, Eben oh. Mule is dude, the the razor sharp rocks that are like a maze, and um, that's where they meet up with Gollum because they get lost. Wait, so are you saying that Sam and Frodo aren't in the Two Towers at all? There, it's the second half of oh, the, the Two Towers the book. book. Okay, it's been so long yeah. since I read them. And then uh, Book Five, Return of the King, starts with the whole story of. Uh, Aragorn, you know, meeting with the the, the army starving. of the dead and everything, and then they, them going to Minas Tirith and the Battle of Polinar Fields and all that stuff, leading up to um, the Black Gate, and then there's a big. Oh well, at the end of Book Four, you, you get. Um, um, I don't know why we're talking so much about Lord of the Rings now, um, we, but. We can uh, yeah, well, that's when Shelob, the spider, right. uh, that whole thing happened. So that, the Two Towers book, which is how they released it, you know, but that ends with a cliffhanger of, oh my god, is Frodo dead? Yeah. Um, Do they at but, least establish that uh, Sam has the, the ring and all? And, uh, yeah. Okay, yeah, good. that Sam has the ring uh, at the end of the book. And you're like, what the hell? And then you have to wait until Return of the King is released but really, um, Tolkien wrote it as one long book. Huh. And the point of all of that was just to say <laughs> that in book four, there's a chapter called of uh, herbs and stewed rabbit. <laughs> so there's a whole thing where he makes a rabbit stew um, while they're in, um, I guess it's an area of Mordor that's very close to Gondor. Indeed. But it wouldn't kill for um, a couple of taters. <laughs> yes precisely that's what that whole scene is yeah. <laughs> but yeah anyway rabbit stew they ate it uh so <laughs> let's read because uh, this is the first dialogue we've had in a while i guess exactly uh, yeah uh we stay here tomorrow the gunslinger said but that man you're after that priest he's no priest and don't worry we've got him how do you know that the gunslinger could only shake his head the knowledge was strong in him but it was not a good knowledge so a couple of changes uh, just in that yeah. sequence alone. We've got uh, okay. he's no priest, and don't worry, he'll keep. So kind of the uh, difference between uh, establishing that the gunslinger is on his trail versus saying that the dark man can wait. I mean, the, the man mm-hmm. in black can wait. Uh, and then he only shook his head. The intuition was strong in him, but it was not a good intuition. So again, kind of twisting the words a little bit so it's not so much a fact Uh, but it's a feeling yeah knowledge and intuition are two different things yeah very much so that makes sense change that uh so he cleans out the cans i like this part where he says uh marveling again at his own water extravagance it's like oh my god we've been in the desert for so long and now we finally have water yeah and I end up just using it to rinse out this can that I'm going to probably throw away. Or is he saving the cans? Yeah, I wonder, like, why rinse them? I think they're saving the... That's what they've been eating out of. Is oh, of sort of like, you know, like bowls? Interesting. Yeah. Okay, exactly. yeah, that makes sense. You gotta, gotta have something, you know. Some yeah, true enough. D- yeah. Dishes. You don't want your the yesterday's food to uh, decay and attract animals and whatnot, so I guess it does make practical sense to rinse it out. Right, mm-hmm. Absolutely. And then we've got another grammatical change uh, going from 
After the meal, he rinsed the cans the, they had eaten from, changing it to, he rinsed the cans from which they had eaten. Uh, oh, that, another, that is a Bruce change. That is a Bruce change, 100%, <laughs> yes. Up with which I shall not put. <laughs> Bruce is our dad's name. Yes. And he's a stickler on grammar. Indeed. <laughs> One of the constant refrains when we were a kid was uh, him and me, it was he and I. <laughs> From which he came. Uh, okay. Indeed, I love you, Bruce, uh, if you're <laughs> Yes, we love you, Dad. So, Jake was asleep again. The gunslinger felt the now familiar rising and falling in his chest that he could only identify with Huthbert. Huthbert had been Roland's own age, but he had seemed so much younger. Which feels very... What did that mean? Well, just that Roland is much more mature than his friend. Like, we've already established oh. that Huthbert, he's a smiler, he's a joker, he's a kid who doesn't know when to shut up. Whereas Roland is always, like, from when he was born, he was always very stern and he's very no, my, business-like. Hmm? Yeah, yeah, no, I understand that different. I, I was asking, what it, he felt the now familiar rising and falling in his chest. Why did he only identify breathing with Cuthbert? Unless he's talking about his heart. Sort of a feeling in his heart. That's what I kind of took it as. Okay, so like he misses his friend. Kind yeah, of kind of like this is a per, this is sort of like a traveling companion that he loved and whatnot, and now he has this kid that he sort of empathizes and feels the same way about. Okay. Sort of this like protective urge, I imagine, which explains why he's talking about how Cuthbert seemed much younger than him. Oh, I see. So, so yeah, he's he's equating Cuthbert to uh, to Jake, exactly. Jake, yeah. Seems so much younger. Okay. So he drops his cigarette. Um, Just looking at the way that it burns differently from the the devil grass that we spent so much time talking about. Uh, he's yeah. glad to be done with that. Air is wonderfully cool. <laughs> well, that was when he was like going mad, and like it's like he's coming out of that madness. Mm. That he exactly. Again, with he's like kind of equating the the desert with the the devil grass, sort of like. He finally, that he's around this life and water around himself, he kind of feels like a a, a person again. Mm-hmm. Uh, he slept and dreamed. Indeed, and we got another... Now, both flashback tell, and some tell, big changes here. Yeah. So, Susan, his beloved, was dying before his eyes. Boom, right away, the Susan king's Delgado. shadowing. Yep. Oh, yes, Susan Delgado in the new one. Indeed. That's where we get her last name. Oh, yes. Um, jeez. As he watched, his arms held by two villagers on each side, his neck his neck dog-caught in a huge, rusty iron collar. She was dying. Even through the thick stench of the fire, Roland could smell the dankness of the pits, and he could see the color of his own madness. Susan, lovely girl at the window, horse drover's daughter. She was turning black in the flames, her skin cracking open. The boy! She was screaming, Roland, the boy! I want to read the whole thing, unless you want me to read the whole thing. Well, I mean, just in that section, we've got some major changes here because this like whole very kind of evocative and incredibly dark uh, description here doesn't yeah. really match oh what God. happens in later books. Because uh, right away, the first change we see is uh, just uh, instead of as he watched, it's just he watched. Uh, and then after the whole r- huge rusty iron collar, it says, this wasn't the way it happened. He hadn't even been there. Oh. But dreams had their own oh. lo- logic, didn't they? 
So basically it's kind of Stephen King having his cake and eating it too. He, he still holds on to just this image of Roland with, uh, this iron collar around his neck and these two, uh, these two villagers are, I'm imagining them holding these like steel sides out of both sides of this collar. Like it's this very weird image, but then, uh, in the new version, he just says, this didn't really happen, but it's just a dream. (laughs) Wow, that's a big change. That's a big change, yeah. <laughs> so then yeah. it goes to, she was dying. He could smell her burning hair, could hear their ch- cries of Charyu tree. That one is more of a plot change for what's going to happen in later books, but we'll just sort of leave it at that, that something, uh, let's see. The cries of Charyu tree, yeah, that doesn't happen. Okay. Yeah. So then we've got, and he could see the color of his own madness. Susan, lovely girl at the window, horse man's daughter instead of horse drover's daughter. I guess a horseman is different from a horse drover. Um, and, <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. So then we've got some uh, elements that happen later on in the series. How she had flown across the drop, her shadow, that of horse and girl merged, a fabulous creature out of an old story, something wild and free. How they had flown together in the corn. Now they were flinging corn husks at her, and the husks caught fire before they caught in her hair. Charyu tree, Charyu tree, they cried. They're these enemies of light and love, and somewhere the witch was cackling. Rhea, the witch's name had been. <laughs> and Susan was turning black in the flames, her skin cracking open. And Oh my god, that's a huge addition. A yeah, huge yeah, addition. All that stuff. So we still have her <laughs> dying before his eyes, being burned alive, but we've got a lot more... Just addition, just sort of showing how Roland and Susan met. This, the two of them, kind of uh, riding horses and running through this corn or whatever, and then it goes from them running through the corn to these villagers flinging corn husks at her as she's being burned alive. Uh, uh, and then, whatever Charyu tree means, we'll find out. Uh, and then apparently there's also a witch nearby named Rhea. So the, the whole fantasy aspect of the story coming full circle again. So we've got demons, we've got witches, we've got all sorts of stuff happening here. Hmm. Uh, what's going on? Indeed. And then we've got what I would probably Totally don't say, get that from the regular. Oh yeah, the regular <laughs> one. It's just, it's much more enigmatic. Like there's some kind of pits, the darkness of the pits just, that is removed. Yeah, it went that, from... Horse Drover's daughter to she was turning black in the flames, her skin cracking open. That's it. Yeah. They cut out all. So, yeah, that's all that Charyu Tree stuff and Rhea. That's all added. That's, that's really, all added. Yeah, um, that, that all he came up with years later uh, and decided to it would fit within this dream. So uh, we've got a little bit. So this is another sort of flashback within a dream where we find out a little bit more of Roland's uh, story. This woman, Susan, that he fell in love with that... Uh, at some point after, definitely after him being a boy, we've got to assume. So uh, just a very tiny little, like, quick snapshots that reveal so much about Roland's character that A, apparently he killed his own mother, and B, the a woman, a woman that he loved was burned alive in front of him. So just this oh, harsh God. and dark, dark, dark uh, backstory that our hero has. Who, you know... Yeah. Uh, I guess uh, you're still not necessarily of the opinion that Roland's the good guy. We'll find out. Uh, <laughs> well, it, clearly he's got, he's had a rough past. He's got a very rough past. Uh, it's made him into the person that he is um, today. I didn't say he was necessarily, you know, bad guy or good guy. I'm just trying to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Um, he's our point of view character. Because, Let's put it that way. 
Yeah, I, he's a, he is our point of view character. I don't know if the gunslingers in general, the organization, are mm-hmm. a are good guys. Valid point. Um, but he's just doing kind of what he was trained to do. I don't know. We'll see. It reminds um, me. It reminds me a lot of the Jedi and in the prequels that we always assume that they were the good guys because we've seen only one or two who are very good. But then in the prequels, we kind of see that they're this bureaucratic association that is very easily kind of manipulated by Palpatine. Yeah. So totally. Um, yeah, and so and they're they're leading a weapon of war into these areas during the whole the clone wars i think was a great show because you really see a lot of that you're like oh wait the jedi are just as bad as these other guys and these separatists they have their own motivations as much as the republic does like what makes you the good guys anyway precisely Um, i mean but let's avoid that rabbit hole for now and just stick to the the story at hand (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we'll talk more about the political machinations of uh, the Star Wars universe in another podcast later on. Um, So going back to the original, he whirled, pulling his captors with him. The collar ripped at his neck and he heard the hitching, strangled sounds that were coming from his own throat. There was a sickish, sweet smell of barbecuing meat on the air. Any changes in that section? Nope, that one's still good. Um, Yeah. So here in the next sentence, we've got... The boy was looking down at him from a window high above the funeral pyre. What do you have in the original? I have the courtyard, high above the courtyard. The same window where Susan, who had taught him to be a man, had once sat and sung the old songs. So I think there's a change here. Uh, Hey Jude, again. Already established, yep. And uh, ease on down the road. That one's in there. And (laughs) that's from The Wiz, right? I really hope that he's talking about the version from The Wiz because I would absolutely love just the image of Roland uh, just singing <laughs> along to he's on down, he's on down the road. <laughs> uh, wait, it's got to be way before that, though. I feel like it's got to, yeah. yeah. Um, and A Hundred Leagues to Banbury Cross. In the new which, version, uh, we've got Careless Love. So, Careless Love. That's a, uh, I think I looked that one up. That's a, a uh, Ray Charles song. Uh, I, I know he covered it, but I think it's older than that. Um, it's a standard kind of Yeah, one of those. I didn't look up 100 Leagues to Banbury Cross. Let's, uh... um, that, I know that one actually comes up in a later Stephen King book, uh, Dreamcatcher, uh, which oh. is, is, it's an interesting kind of, uh a reference that i never realized until i was looking this close into it and i was like oh yeah i remember that and bright a cock horse to banbury cross uh <laughs> but yeah that one uh here he swapped out for careless love which does get referenced later on i, I forget if it uh let me see actually careless love. i think careless love was mentioned earlier um so earlier on, when they were still in the way station, um, he was talking about piano player in Tull, yada yada. Uh, Sheb had been fond of the old songs. He hummed one tunelessly under his breath. Love, oh love, oh careless love. See what careless love has done. So it has been mentioned uh, earlier on so far in the book. So we know. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. So, kind of bringing it back that this is one of the songs that uh, he sang with Susan in, in Magus in Times Gone By. 
So Susan knew Hey Jude. I'm so confused. So, yeah. So I'm just trying to think of the timeline and chronology. Like, how could she know a song that came out in 1968 or whatever? They're from like medieval times. I guess they're not from medieval times. There's some sort of after dystopia. And, huh. So, so it kind of basically it's saying that Hey Jude is becoming going to become one of those eternal standards that lives on for who knows how long. Or just it's one of the or it's a song that is crossing dimensions. So who knows whether we're on the distant future or we're in a sideways timeline or who knows what. But it's a song that exists in. Well, all three of these songs actually exist in both worlds. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, so then uh, he looked out from the window like the statue of an alabaster saint in a cathedral. His eyes were marble. A spike had been driven through Jake's forehead. His gunslinger felt the strangling, ripping scream that signaled the beginning of his lunacy pull up from the root of his belly. Mm. That is just <laughs> an amazing, uh, just the strangling, rippling, ripping scream that sing- signaled the end, the beginning of his lunacy. Ugh. Just such a weird, yeah. like, description. Like, oh. I mean, Stephen King is great at describing insanity. It always makes me wonder, like, did, yeah. has he had oh episodes God. or something? Like, there's so many times <laughs> where just his his imagination of what insanity must be is just this strangling, rip, ripping scream that's just beginning yeah. of the is. Well, what is insanity? Maybe we've all experienced it a little bit in our lives. Very, very <laughs> you know? true. And so I'm, I'm sure that we've felt that feeling of, you know, um, uh, helplessness that, mm-hmm. that he's feeling right now. And just ah, screaming because that's all you can do is, is but you can't um, you can't save Susan. And apparently is that Jake up in the. Yeah, apparently. Let's see. It through Jake's forehead. Yeah. Yeah. So um, he, he's up in the window. Yeah. There's a lot of we got very wrapped up in the songs, but basically. Roland has got his neck caught in this whatever dog collar thing and uh, dog caught in a rusty iron collar. Uh, he looks up at a window and he sees Jake looking down and he looks like a statue of an alabaster saint, eyes of marble and a spike through his forehead. So mm-hmm. very kind of creepy. And again, saint, uh, cathedral, very religious iconography. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Establishing Jake as, uh, like you said, like some sort of a martyr. So yeah, but Jake has been wait. So why would Jake even be there? It's a dream. It's, it's a dream. dream Nick. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but okay, so maybe he saw Susan burn to death, but that's not exactly how it happened. Yeah, according to this, um, he, he hadn't even been there. But he's afraid that Jake's going to get be killed. Basically, um, yeah, it looks like. Yeah. So I think it's we might want to stop there. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. I mean, we've only gotten uh, through section one and two, but we've already definitely... <laughs> we wanted to get to six. Darn it. Oh, my goodness. Um, all right. Well, um, that that was an episode of Chapter Brothers. Thank you for joining us. Um, Indeed. We'll uh, see you next week. And we're, we're going to get through up to, to section six next week. I yeah. think we can do it. I think we can... Yeah, we can yeah. muscle through th- uh, and get to chapter six <laughs> next week. Oh, well, subsection six next week, because... Subsections. You know, VI, if you want to be more specific or whatever. <laughs> All right. Well, 
long days and pleasant nights. Love you, brother. May you have twice the number. Love you too, buddy.